0: Today, we're in chapter 6. We're, we're uh, finishing up Ephesians 6. We're in lesson 18. We're going to look at verses 10 through 24. And we're going to look at a subject that can be very controversial, can be very much misunderstood uh, the issue of spiritual warfare. There's a lot of stuff that's out there. I mean, I've got, I've got a section in my library downstairs of books. Some of them are good most of them are garbage uh, as far as the whole aspect of what spiritual warfare is because there's a lot of hype and emotionalism and it's something that you and I need to be aware of and it's something that uh is very real now when we talk about spiritual warfare what are we talking about we're talking about that we are we live in a world where we come in contact and in conflict with Better word is conflict, not contact, with demonic hosts who are led by Satan. Now, let me just stop for a moment. The problem is today, in our culture, in our postmodern culture, where we don't accept any absolute truth anymore, and that's even reflective even in the church, the problem is that people don't tend to have a correct view of Satan. So, for instance, a lot of people don't even believe that there is a Satan. Number one. I think it's interesting, they did a survey a few years ago and found that 75% of pastors don't believe in Satan. What are we doing then? You know, I mean, okay, that's kind of weird. All right. Uh, the other view is is that another survey showed that most people believe that Satan in America is a personification of evil. He just personifies evil in general. Okay? A personification of evil. The other thing is that we tend to fall in one of two ditches when it comes to the issue of spiritual warfare. Okay? You may want to write this down. We tend to, which I've already just explained, not believe that there is any spiritual warfare going on out there. That's one ditch. The other ditch that is just as extreme is that you find a demon under every rock, so to speak. So there's a demon of cigarettes. Okay? There's a demon of cheeseburgers. You know, you know what I'm saying? For those of us who are gluttons. You know what I'm saying? There's there's a demon of this and a demon of that. And 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 you hear people say things They'll say things like, well, the devil's really been hard on me this week. And usually that's because they've had problems going on. And they have to blame somebody for their problems, so they blame it on Satan. So Satan is everywhere and under everything. And that's another extreme. First of all, let me just say this to you. Satan is real, but I'm going to be honest with you. Satan's main attack with us is only in three areas. His main attack with us is only in three areas. Because he doesn't really need to mess up your day to get you where he needs you to be. What's happening in your life is either you made a wrong choice or life in general. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's either you made a wrong choice or life in general. And let's be honest, life will throw the kitchen sink at you. Now, you say, what are the three areas that Satan will deal with us in? Well, the areas that Satan will deal with us in, number one, is temptation. He will tempt you to sin. Now, let me just stop for a moment. He knows how to mess you up. And he's patient. He's lived forever. So he can observe you. And he just has to push the right buttons. And eventually, you'll give in. So the first thing he does is he tempts you. So he knows what the temptations are for you. So for instance, for me, there are certain temptations that will work that won't work for Jim. And there are certain temptations that will work for Jim that won't work for me. Do you understand what I'm saying? He's a student of all of us. So temptation is the first one. The second one, second area that he will attack you in is called accusation accusation. What do you mean by that? Well, he'll come to you and say, well, don't you remember when you were back there at Temptation, you did this? You must not be a good Christian. God must not love you. Why would God love somebody who did that? See, and that will debilitate a lot of us. Is just the accusation. There's a third area. Lying. He's the father of lies. And so he will communicate lies to you. Number one, God doesn't love you anymore because of this, because of the accusation and because of the temptation that you gave into. And he will communicate lies. Just those three areas alone. He doesn't have to do anything more than that. Those three areas alone will cripple you. Do you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't have to take the engine out of your car. Do you understand what I'm saying? He doesn't have to give you a health issue. Yes, we see pictures of that in Job, where he did that. But the reality is, is that I don't think he has to do that very often. So when you hear people say, well, Satan's really been on me, what in the world are they talking about? First of all, he's not omnipresent. He's a spirit. But he does have millions, I think, millions of demons who... Do you understand what I'm saying? He's not hes not sitting in a boardroom somewhere saying, we don't let Sam work. We need to take care of him this week. I don't think that. What he is, is he's against the people of God, period. And those are his three main areas. So Paul's going to talk to us about that today. He's going to talk to us about being prepared for warfare. So this should be a good lesson. Hopefully we'll correct some incorrect thinking and show you what the Bible really says. So I want you to notice with me, first of all, verses 10 through 13. Paul says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness in this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places." Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand the evil day, having done all to stand. So the first thing we're going to do is look at the whole issue of being called to be prepared. First thing he's going to tell us as we look at this whole issue of spiritual warfare is that you and I need to be prepared for it. So first of all, notice the call. Paul calls us to be strong in our Christian lives. You've got to be strong you got to be ready. Now here's the thing. Here's what happened, especially if you've been a Christian for a long time. You get to the place where you just kind of coast. It's like we think there's this autopilot or, or cruise control thing that we can do as far as our spiritual lives. You know, I think I'm just going to take it easy this week. I don't think I need to read the Word this week. I'm not going to spend as much time in prayer. You know, I don't think I need to go fellowship with other believers at church. I don't think I need that. You know, I, I, th- I just need a vacation. And the reality is, is what Paul's telling us to do here is, you need to be strong. You need to wake up. You know, you think you're just dealing with the man at work. You think you're just dealing with whatever it is that's happening in your life. Paul's getting ready to tell us that's not completely the whole story. You're only seeing... This dimension. There's another dimension, a spiritual dimension of what's going on that you're not even aware of. And so you've got to be ready. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be strong. So the source of our strength here, where do I find my strength? The source of our strength is the Lord himself and his power. So the source of my strength, I've got to be strong. So where am I going to find my strength? In Jesus. So you've got to have a relationship with him. You've got to have a relationship with him. So, here's what we do. He calls us to prepare ourselves to stand against Satan. He calls you to prepare yourself to stand against Satan. Now, let me just stop for a moment. I think this is a good point for us to say something here. The issue isn't that you and I fight Satan. Watch everybody hear me. The issue isn't that you and I fight Satan. The issue is that you and I stand against Satan. Now, why, why do I say that? Because some people, you know, they talk about taking 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 the battle to the enemy. You're not going to find that in the Bible. It talks about resisting. Resisting is part of standing. The fact of the matter is that Satan is an angelic being who is far smarter, far wiser, more powerful than any of us. And if it wasn't God's restraining hand on him, we would be wiped out. So don't even think for a moment that you can just take the battle to him. God's in charge of the battle. Did you understand what I'm saying? So the reality is, listen to me, the reality is is what he's calling us to, he's calling us to prepare ourselves to stand against the enemy. Now when we get to the issues of the armor of God, you're going to see what it means to stand here. Alright, so let's, let's go on now. The nature of the battle. Paul tells us that we're involved in a spiritual conflict. Look at verse 12. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, against rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. He's telling us, look guys, you've got to understand the nature of the battle. We're not just wrestling. We're not just fighting physical beings here. This is something that's totally beyond us. Totally beyond us. This is a spiritual conflict. And here's the purpose of preparing. Why do, why do we need to prepare? We are to prepare in order to withstand attack. We've got to withstand the attacks of the enemy. He is going to attack you. Listen. What do you think he wants? Do you think he wants you to be really growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ and be responding to God in obedience to the things that he wants you to do and fulfilling whatever plan God has that we, all of us, are not aware of? Do you think Satan wants that to happen? No, not at all, because he's he's against the plan of God, he's against everything that's God. He hates us. He hates you. He hates your family. He hates us. He wants to destroy us. So he's going to do everything he can to debilitate you. He can't take you out. So what he'll do is make you so that you can't be used. And he doesn't really have to do anything to make it so that we can't be used. He just needs to use what? Temptation, accusation, and lies. And we make ourselves not useful. you understand? He, I, you know, Satan to me is the biggest button pusher in the world. You know what a button pusher is? A button pusher is the guy that's at work. He knows, well, you know, hey, there's Bill over there. Watch this. And he knows how to push the button to get jerk Bill's chain to get a reaction. Do you, do you know what I'm saying? That's a button pusher at work. Satan knows how to jerk our chains. That's, that's reality. And believe me, folks, he's watched you. Now, how do you say you know he's watched you? Well, it's interesting. You go to the book of Acts. In yeah, the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 17, 18, maybe 19. The sons of Sceva... They were some uh, sons of a Jewish exorcist, and they were casting out demons from this fellow, and he, they were casting them out in the name of Paul, in the name of Jesus. And the demon speaks back at them and says, Jesus I know, and Paul I know. Who are you? And then he whoops the pants off of them. He literally, they run out of the house naked, because he, he I mean, the demon just, and that guy whoops them. Now, it's interesting. The words there, no, are two different words. Here's what the demons are saying, when you understand what the language is saying. They're saying, Jesus we know by experience. The demons, they know who he is. When it came to Paul, they used a different word for "no." Paul, we know by observation. See the difference? What are they seeing about your life? you understand? What are they seeing about your life? Are you for real? They could say that about Paul. You see what I'm saying? So, I mean, you know, we we wear masks. So we come to church, we're here for church. And then you're you're who you are at home, but then there's you by yourself. Who are you by yourself? Do you understand? There's somebody... What you don't realize, because we deal in a spiritual world, somebody sees who you really are by yourselves. They see who you are when you're not here. So, we're to prepare to withstand attack. Now, here's the other thing. We We are to prepare in order to stand. We are to prepare in order to stand. Now, look with me at verse 14 through 20. This is the armor of God. Stand having, therefore, girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end, with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Okay, we're going to talk about the armor of God. Before we talk about the armor of God, I've got to make one point to you so that everybody understands. The armor of God is not a magical formula. I have heard messages over the years where people will say, get up in the morning and I put on the armor of God. And so they will recite the armor of God and I'll put on the breastplate. Of, you know, and I'll put on the helmet of salvation and I shod my feet. And, and they go through the physical actions like that's okay. Might be cool for you, but what happens is, is if you communicate to others... We like lists of things that we do. Somebody's going to take that as this is what I got to do every morning. So out of that group of people listening to them, there's a bunch of people there who are doing that now every morning, putting on their helmet, putting on their breastplate because they think now I'm ready because I got the armor of God on. That is not what he's talking about. Here. It is not a magical formula what he is doing is, he's talking about warfare. And so in talking about warfare, he is using an illustration that every one of them would understand as they read that letter, to understand what it means to be ready for the battle. So he's giving an illustration of, are you listening to me? Of how a soldier is equipped. Except, Every part of the soldier's garment represents something. So really, we shouldn't focus on what the part of the armor is. We should focus on what it represents. And what he's going to show us, actually, are truths that you and I need to embrace in our lives, which will help us to stand against the enemy. Does everybody understand what I'm saying? That's really what the issue is. It's not that tomorrow morning I'm gonna put on my helmet. That's not the issue. I'm gonna have my sword. It's not the issue at all. So let's look at what he's saying here. First of all, he's gonna the first issue is the first truth is truth itself. Our lives are to be controlled by truth. Now why is that? The first thing he wants us to do is is that he is wanting us to let truth be really girding yourself, is what he's talking about, is that you're prepared, you're ready to run. Truth is going to guide you through your life. Why? Because your enemy, our enemy operates in a world of lies. So remember I told you, one of the ways that Satan will attack you is what? Lies. How do I deal with that? I've got to know truth. Truth's got to be a part of my life. You know, so when he comes to you and says, God doesn't love you, how do you withstand that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but that whosoever believeth in him might have eternal life. Who can separate us, Paul says in Romans 8, from the love of God? Truth. How did Jesus answer Satan in the Temptations, folks? Scripture. He answered him with what? Truth. Do you understand? So the first thing I've got to make a part of my life is truth. Here's the other thing. Our enemy attacks us with accusation. Our enemy attacks us with accusation. So when he attacks you, he's attacking your whole being. So when he accuses you, he's saying, Well, you're not a good Christian. How, how, how could you do that? How could you, how could you engage in that kind of behavior? How could you have that kind of attitude? God's not going to accept you the way you are. That's accusation. But I want you to notice what the next thing that he tells us to have in our life besides truth. He says to put on what? The breastplate of righteousness. Okay. So what does that mean? Here's, here's what I want you to see. We're to embrace the righteousness of Christ in place of our own. The breastplate of righteousness. What righteousness? Not my righteousness. The Bible already says my righteousness is what? As filthy rags. But Jesus' righteousness is given to me. So when God sees me, he accepts me, not because of what I've done or haven't done or who I am or who I'm not. He accepts me now because of Jesus and what Jesus has done, his righteousness. So what I'm going to do in order to stand against the enemy, especially against accusation, I'm going to what? Embrace. It's a gosh, great picture of a breastplate, isn't it? Because that's just like really grabbing a hold of you. It's like, there you are, embraced by whose righteousness? Christ's righteousness. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that an awesome thought? So, I'm going to have truth. I'm going to have righteousness. Now, here's the other one. Look with me. Verse 15. Having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Now, here's what I want you to see. Our enemy attacks our assurance. See, the enemy will come to you and say, you're not a Christian because obviously you would lose your salvation because of what you've done. And a lot of folks, especially if they're immature, will wrestle with that. I must not be a Christian because I did this. And, and you'll see them in churches, especially in churches where they have invitations. They're constantly getting saved. Constantly coming down to the altar. Constantly praying. Constantly asking God to forgive them. Give them another chance because they're not sure. They're not sure at all about whether or not they're truly saved. They're, they're wrestling with their salvation. And that's, that, that's the enemy attacking them. So how do I deal with that? I, well, here's how you deal with it. We're to stand because of the gospel which brings peace. What's the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ for our salvation. Not anything we've done. That's the gospel. It is not because of you. So again, it's not because of anything you haven't done or have done, or who you are or who you're not. Your assurance, when we we see somebody wrestling with assurance, it's always because of something they've done. And so now they feel they're not accepted by God. But I'm trying to remind you, when it comes to the issue of salvation, which is what the gospel is about, who's salvation about? Jesus. And what Jesus has done for us. It is not about us. So I'm going to have truth. I'm going, to have a, I'm going to be ready because I've got a grasp on truth. I'm going to be ready because I've got a grasp on Christ's righteousness in my life. I'm going to be ready because I grasp and truly understand the gospel. That it's not about me. You understand, it's not about me. Let's go on now. Look at verse 16. He's going to talk about faith. Here's the other one. How am I going to stand against the enemy? Faith refers to a trust in God's promises. Look, he will throw fiery darts at you. Not literal fiery darts. But he will throw fiery trials at you. He will bring you, he will cause circumstances and situations to happen in your life where you're going to begin to question, and that's the big one, isn't it? Begin to question the sincerity of God, and question his love for you, and question his promises. But faith is what we need to embrace. It's that faith is, God, I trust in you no matter the circumstances or the situations. I'm going to trust in you, period. The world may be totally upside down, but I'm going to trust in you, God. And sometimes the world is totally upside down, isn't it? So faith. Faith is the other way that you are able to stand. Let's go on now. Salvation. Look with me at verse 17. And take the helmet of salvation. Salvation refers to our hope in the ultimate salvation that is to come. Does everybody understand? Salvation is not just the moment you accepted Christ into your life and the Holy Spirit entered into your life at that moment. Salvation is actually a threefold process. There is justification, which happens the moment you got saved. But there is sanctification. That is that until that time in which Jesus takes us, he is working out salvation in our life. We're becoming like him. That's sanctification. And then there's ultimate salvation, ultimate sanctification, which is called glorification, which when we go to be with Jesus, we will fully realize our salvation because we'll receive a what? A new body. So what you do is, is, in order to stand against the enemy, you realize, you put on salvation. You have an understanding of what salvation is. Yes, I am justified. I am seen as righteous by Christ. But right now, he is molding me. He is, he is dealing with the issues of my life. I am becoming like Jesus every day of my life. Until the day I go to be with him. And when I go to be with him, I am free from this body. And given a whole new body. So that's the hope you have. Let's go on now. The Word of God, verse 17. There's only one offensive weapon in this entire illustration. Our only offensive weapon is the Scripture. You know, there's been some ridiculous stuff through the years. You know, you, you hear how many... I mean, I know the kids do this, but sword drills. Get your sword ready. Do you know what I mean? I mean, we laugh at that, but can I be honest? With you? That's really making light. Or you know, or people, or you hear some preacher, ah, you know, swinging his sword. You know, do you know what I'm saying? That's all flippant. We got to get serious. How how well do you think we'll do against Al Qaeda if the United States Army and Marines were flippant? Do you know what I mean? I mean, if we were flippant about going to war. We shouldn't even go to war. We should just surrender. But some of us have a flippant attitude about spiritual warfare. And so you've got to take serious that you're in a battle. And what he's saying here is not that he's saying that it's a sword that you wield in some way. No, what he's saying is, is that this is your weapon. Truth. The word of God. So become a person of it. Do, do you understand what I'm saying? This is what he's saying. It's got to be a part of your life. There is one other aspect here, and that's prayer. Verse eighteen through twenty. First of all, we are called to pray all the time. You guys pray all the time? I pray all the time. I had I had a meeting yesterday in State College uh, with a guy I used to work with at Liberty. I had not seen him in 18 years. He lives over in Lebanon, PA, and, and he uh, wanted to see me. So I got a burger with him at the Outback Steakhouse. And, uh, you know, on my way there, I'm praying. While I'm talking to him, I'm praying. God, what do I say to him about this? You know, On my way back, I'm praying. Do you talk to God? Prayer is not some pious attitude. Prayer is simply talking with God. And what Paul is saying to us here in this verse is, you need to pray all the time. The frequency. All the time you need to pray. And we're to pray all kinds of prayers. They could be the Lord's prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's okay to repeat that. It could be simply this kind of prayer. Help! That's all you say. Because you don't know how to pray. The Bible says it could be a groan. Uh-huh. But it's a prayer. Pray all kinds of prayers. Pray all the time. Pray all kinds of prayers. Here's the nature of the prayer. So, how many, what kind of prayers do they need to be? Be watchful. That means you need to be aware. You need to be aware of what's happening around you and what's going on in your life. You know, there are times, can I just be honest with you? Lori was here, she would tell you this. You know, we we have, we're, we're a normal marriage, so there are times of intense fellowship. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? And I remember one time we were fighting, and I forget now, it was something stupid and trivial. And after a while, I don't know if it was her or it was me. I said, well, time out. What are we fighting about? Where did that come from? And we realized... The enemy. Because he's a button pusher. And it could be something totally trivial, but it'll blow up your home. You know what I mean? You need to be watchful. Paul says this in one of his epistles, that we are aware of his ways. Are you aware of how Satan works in your life? How the enemy works in your life? how he works in your family. Are you aware? Remember I told you about the button pusher at work? You know, and what makes it funny is is that Bill never realizes that the other guy's jerking his chain. Until somebody has compassion and goes over to Bill and says, hey, don't you know that jerk is jerking your chain? He's just doing it to jerk your chain. So when Bill becomes aware, the fun leaves, doesn't it? See, we need to quit being Bill and having our chain jerked. And we need to begin to be watchful and realize that there's somebody jerking our chains. Drawing reactions from us. Do you understand what I'm saying? That's what, that's what he's talking about here. So we need to be watchful. Number two, we need to have perseverance in prayer. I mean, we give up easily. If it doesn't happen the first time, we're out of there. You know? I mean, I go to McDonald's. It's not burgers anymore, folks. It's salads. Uh, bacon ranch salad with crispy chicken. Okay? That's the new thing with George. Okay? If you have lunch with me, you'll know. Okay?
1: Lie Italian
0: dressing. Okay? Uh, Rob knows. Right, Rob? And uh, he has ranch. Okay. Um, what well, If I go in there and it's crowded and there's one person behind the counter, most of us would say, "Let's go somewhere else," because we don't. We're not into perseverance. Now, if I really like that crispy chicken, I'm going to stay because I'm going to persevere. Do you, know, do you understand what I'm saying? We're the same way when it comes to prayer. If we don't see God answering immediately, we're hanging it up, doing something else. You know what? Isn't it any wonder He didn't choose you instead of Abraham? The reality is is we couldn't have been patient for 25 years. So you and I need to persevere in prayer. We need to continue on in prayer. Who do we pray for? Our object. We're to pray for all believers. Boy, we need to pray for each other. Can I, tell me, can I be honest with you? You know what the opposite of prayer is? Anybody know what the opposite of prayer is? Man, may want to write this down. The opposite of prayer is gossip. The opposite of prayer is gossip. See, all of us have a tendency that we have to tell somebody. When God reveals something to you, he reveals it to you so that you talk to him about it. Satan always has an opposite. His opposite is, is he knowing our human tendency that we got to talk to somebody about it, his, he will then get us to talk to somebody else about it. So there you are, you're seeing that so-and-so is struggling, or so-and-so is wrestling with an issue, or so-and-so is struggling with an addiction issue, or whatever. And God's showing you that, so that number one, you can pray about it. We don't pray about it. It becomes conversation over a coffee. It's news on Facebook. Do you know what I'm saying? It's the opportunity for you to pray for them because, listen... Obviously, somebody's after them. They're in a battle, too, just like you are. They need you to pray. Who do I pray for? All believers. Everyone. Everyone. Pray for all believers. And here's what else we're to pray for. We're to pray for the furtherance of the God. Lord, we need to pray. God, please, may more people hear about Jesus. Jesus about his salvation, about his forgiveness and his righteousness. We need to pray for all believers and we need to pray for the furtherance of the gospel. And I want you to notice with me verses 21 through 24. This is the closing of the letter. But that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing, Tychusus, my beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you. Whom I have sent to you for this very purpose, that you may know our affairs, and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren, and love with faith from God the Father and our Lord and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with you, be with all who love our Lord Jesus in sincerity. Amen. Are just a couple points here as we close out this letter. First of all, Paul says he sent Tychicus to inform him of his con- condition. So he's, he's closing the letter. He said, look, the reason why I'm sending tickets is so he can tell you what's happening with me. And then he bestows a blessing. Paul bestows a blessing on his readers as he closes his letter. Okay, so that's it for Ephesians. Okay, we got to close our time because we've got five minutes before the service starts.